when God visited Abraham and was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he said this as he was walking along the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. We can see that the children are blessed if in the fear of the Lord we bring them up, and that we in turn are blessed. I'm not aware of any other religion that preaches that God is our Father. God wants to be our Father. And to think that he has entrusted us children, I believe that's not just coincidence, but God teaches us through our children some things of how he feels toward us. And it is humbling, it's a great privilege, also a great responsibility. And may the Lord bless those things that we're going to share now. I'm here in a supporting role. My wife is gonna do most of the talking. And let's be in prayer that the Lord may bless us. To him be all the honor and glory, amen. When I first, um volunteered to do this forum, I actually was um, talking to someone. They said, we haven't had anything about parenting for quite some time. And I began mm -hmm. to think about it, and I uh, felt a little twinge of guilt that maybe we haven't shared and haven't talked as much as we should. I know when our children were little, I tried to look around for examples and see who was doing a good job with their family and try to learn from them. And at the time when our children were little, Dr. Spock was the only thing in vogue, so there really wasn't much that you could find. And uh, as I volunteered to do this, I began to start doing some research and looking around and seeing what's available. And I was really overwhelmed by the materials that are out there. And I brought a sampling, and feel free to take a look at them later on if you wish. And I have been just reading and reading. I thought first I was going to be sharing a lot of my experiences from our own uh, family and from teaching and so on. But the more I got into the books and, and started reading, and so many good Christian-based books that have been printed from about 1995 on that really had some excellent things that I thought really needed to be shared. So I'm going to apologize a little bit at, at, right at the beginning because I, I'm going to do a little bit more academic in this uh, forum than I thought I was going to at first. I thought it was only going to be experiences. But I think if we know the academics and if we know the things that, are, that, that we can apply to our families, then possibly you'll learn a lot more from this than you would from the little experience that I could share about our family. So when I first started, I thought, where do I start? And I thought, well, we've got to start with family. What is a family? We know that verse in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the, in the way that um, he should go and, and he will not depart from it when, when uh, he is older. Um, but we need to start from the very, very beginning. And so we're going to start with, with what is a family? Well, if you look back into the Bible, a family is the first primary social unit that God created, and that was when he created Adam and Eve. And that was a complete family. It was a unit. Children are an extension. They do, you do not need children to complete a family. You are a family already as a husband and wife. And I think it's so good sometimes if you do not have the children right away because you get your family established. Your, the nucleus of that family becomes established, you as the husband and wife. And you'll find out through this morning's forum that that is the most important relationship in the family, is your relationship between the husband and wife. Everything else hinges on that. And if, you, and if you're having problems with that, you're going to have problems with parenting. So it is really important to sustain that, that husband-wife relationship throughout. Parenting methods over the years, I think the first 60 years of this past century were mostly authoritarian. Um, obedience was, was uh, the rule, and the emphasis on, was on what you should not do. 
Okay, and then came the permissive state, which I think we've all experienced the last 40 years have been very permissive. And this is where we equate indulgence and permissiveness with love. If you picked up a handout, you'll see some of those things on that sheet of paper that I'm going to go through and I'll add to it as I'm going along. I, I did that so that you wouldn't have to take too many notes and that we could just kind of absorb more as we go. So in the permissive uh, parenting method, the child is the most important and so we tolerate their behavior. I think if I asked uh, probably anybody in the group here, what is your goal or what would be your goal as a parent, I think you probably would be to say to raise happy, obedient, well-behaved, maybe even successful children. And when you think of that, it's not a bad goal. I, I'd, I'd be kind of pleased, I think, if I could do that with my children. But I think we're missing the boat a little bit on that, on that goal. Where does God come into it? And I think rather we need to think about as our goal is to, to teach children to act and think morally so that they also can accept God's leading in their lives one day. Now, how do we do that? Raising good children is not by chance. We must train them, we must guide them, nurture, discipline. We first need to teach obedience. Obedience to what? Obedience to the standard of the Bible. We must demonstrate it by our example. Uh, there's a fact that says 80% of what you do is more relevant than the 20% that you say. And like I said, the husband-wife relationship is very important. And you need to train, not when you're having a problem with the children, not in times of conflict, but in non-conflict times. And that's what that verse in Deuteronomy says. And I'm going to have Eckhart read that one. Actually, I want to start with verse 5. We often refer to 6 from verse 6 and 7, but start with verse 5. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. I think it's important to note that, you know, that first verse is about what's in your heart, all the things, how you should love the Lord. And if those things are in your heart, if you're serving God in the way you should, then you will train your children to serve him in the same way. They will serve God the same way that you serve him. And I think it's important to note that. Now, getting into the academic part of the form, is uh, we're going to start off with the three parenting strategies that are, I think, basic. And Eckhart has an overhead there that he's going to um, put up there for you. Uh, we call them the funnels, the parenting funnels. The first one is a child, just get the wide one here, the child-centered funnel. And this is where the child is elevated above the family rather than integrated into it. There's many freedoms and choices, and they're given prematurely. The child cannot accept those freedoms, but they're given. The child learns to become very self-centered and selfish. And then the one beside it is the authoritarian parenting. And you see that, that the first one is wide at the bottom and goes to the top. The authoritarian one is a very narrow funnel. It goes all the way up. And this means that the parent is the authority and maybe even using it wrongfully and having a double standard, asking the child to do those things, but not necessarily exemplifying the same thing to them. And so that's going to bring problems. The first one is going to bring problems because you've given them too much freedom, and then when you want to get the control at the end, it's not going to work. The other one, if you have control all the way up, the child is going to rebel against your control because he will have some self-control by that point, and he will resent, and that's when you exasperate your child because you haven't given them some freedom that matches their maturity. The third one is the one that we're going to talk about in detail, and this is the one that I feel that every Christian parent should be working towards raising their children this way. And it's called the progressive growth parent, uh, parenting model. And it begins with the parent being the authority, and it leads to a transition uh, from obedience to willing submission, resulting in a friendship relationship. That's your ultimate goal with your children, is to become their friends. Not at first. You're not their buddy to begin with. You are the authority in their life. They need that. But as they get to the more advanced years, then you want to be able to have a relationship built with them that ends up in friendship. But before friendships ar arrive, we have to have that, that submissiveness. 
and I, I came across this, this um, little article, uh, part of a, a, a little article which relates it better than I could, and it's from the book by um, Ted Tripp on shepherding the heart. And I think this is what the problem is today with the parenting. I'm just going to let Eckhart read that for us. Shepherding the Heart by Ted Tripp. As a school administrator, I observe that most parents do not understand the appropriateness and necessity of being in charge of their child's life. Rather, parents take the role of advisor or caregiver. Few are willing to say, for instance, I have prepared oatmeal for your breakfast. It is good, nutritious food, and I want you to eat it. Maybe other mornings we will have something you like better. Many are saying, what do you want for breakfast? You don't want the oatmeal I have prepared? Would you like something else? This sounds very nice and enlightened, but what is really happening? The child is learning that he is a valid decision maker. The parents only suggest the options. This scenario is repeated, repeated in the experience of young children in clothes choices, clothing choices, schedule choices, free time choices, and so forth. By the time the child is six or eight or 10, he is his own boss. By the age 13, the child is out of control. Parents can cajole, plead, urge in frustration and anger, scream and threaten, but the child is his own boss. The parent has long since given up the decision-making prerogative in a child's life. How did it happen? It crept in at a very early age as the parent made every decision a smorgasbord of choices for the child to decide. Some may argue children only learn to be decision-makers as parents allow them to make decisions. We want children to learn to make sound decisions. This misses the important issue. Children will be good decision makers as they observe faithful parents modeling and instructing wise directions and decision making on their behalf. Preliminary even to decision making is the importance for children to be under authority. Teach your children that God loves them so much that he gave them parents to be kind authorities to teach and lead them. Children learn to be wise decision-makers by learning from you. Parents must be willing to be in charge. You should do this with a benevolent and gracious manner, but you must be an authority for your children. I think the next transparency that he has shows you those four phases in this progressive growth funnel. If you noticed on that funnel, it came up, uh, it, it went out gradually, and that's what we want. We don't want too much choices are too many things at the, at the beginning that they can't handle and then later on you're going to open them up and they're going to be able to make wise decisions and choices at that point. So there are basically four phases that you're going to go through, the ones in the bottom there, if you can just move it up, um, is the, the, the discipline part is the, from birth to about five years and that's where you've got your tightest boundaries, that's where you're going to do your establishing your authority and that's so important and you've got to establish that right from day one. There's a little book up here called Train Your, To Train Up a Child. It's by the Amish. And uh, what they say is they train their children like they train their horses. <laughs> and they really do. But you know what? They get obedience. And it maybe sounds a little harsh to us, some of the things they do. They will put a toy in the middle of the floor, and they will tempt that child to go and get that toy. And they have a little switch in their hand. Or they say they thump their finger, they thump their little hand with their finger, their index finger. But you know what? You don't need to spank as hard if you get them under control earlier. And that's, I think, is the secret to it all. If we train them when they're babies to realize that this is a forbidden thing, this is a no-no, then you're, you won't have to spank the, the regular spanking way as often because you've already established that. And they'll, they'll do it until that child it realizes and is under their authority. So that first stage is very important to limit their freedoms, establish your authority. Then in the next phase, which is from age 6 to 12, you're going to train or teach. And this is when you're developing the morals, where we said that your goal is to have your children think and act morally. This is where all your morals, are, the morals are being established by your child. You may not think that they can handle it at that age, but they do. They assimilate all those things. And then from the third phase is the coaching phase, where the child is beginning to think for himself. You can make some corrections. 
but he's already doing his things, he's already into his own things, and you may be able to coach from the sideline, but that's about the extent of it. If you have done those first three phases like they should be, the next phase will be a breeze, because you will start to, um, to, to rule them by your influence. You don't need authority anymore, it's already established. Your morals have been established, now you're going to influence them, because there's a respect that's built, and built up, there's a relationship that's there, and the child will do that willingly. He will have already submitted willingly to your instructions. And then it's a friendship relationship after that. Okay, I'm going to go back just very quickly. I want to just skim through a couple of things because I thought I wanted to give something for every level. And so I want to start right at birth. We talked about getting authority. It starts from day one, the day, the day they come home from the hospital to live in your home, you start to establish your authority. And how do you do that? You get a routine. The child needs a routine. You need a nap time, you need a wake time, you need uh, um, different play times, different things that they can do. So you establish that as, as quickly as possible by getting a parent-directed feeding schedule going. And then uh, during the wake time, the baby needs alone time. And I think myself, with having only two, I really found that I spent far too much time with my children. And they depend on you afterwards, and they can't do things on their own. And, and you really need to let them develop their creativity on their own uh, as well. And, and nap time is another interesting thing. You need to put the child down when you know he needs a nap. Don't wait for them to fall asleep on the floor and be so cranky that everybody else is miserable. You, you establish those times when they go down, especially at the sign of fussiness, and when you feel that they need their sleep time. Playpen time is a time, and this is a good little book back here. It's called Creative Family Times. It's just a simple, uh, thin little book. I think it's back there somewhere. And it goes into an awful lot of things about how to train a child right at the very beginning. So you're going to put them in, you structure a wake time in a playpen. First you have some time with the, with the baby. Of course you don't want to just put them on their own. But sometime during the day, and you establish this when they're fresh, you put them in the playpen, you put just a few little articles in there. You might have one of those stacking little toys that they can learn and develop and, and learn things. You might have some of those little hardbound books that they can look through. And you limit the things that you have in the playpen. You also put the little things that they like, their Cheerios, their snacks, their different things. And you put that kind of where you can see what they're doing, but they're not in your full view because you don't want them to have your full attention. You want them to have that time to develop. So this is one way that you can begin to develop your child's independence, creativity, and all those different things. Even during um, the high chair time, there are times when you can start to establish. For example, you see these funny cartoons where the child has the bowl on his head and the food's all over. and. Some parents will even go to the extent of bringing a, one of those inflatable swimming pools and putting it out of their high chair just to catch all the food things. I mean, some parents will go to that extent. But you want to start training even there. And the one thing is you can just have them put their hands on the side of the high chair when you're ready to feed them. And that becomes an established standard that they put their hands there and they don't get into things for you. Or when they're smaller, just holding their hands until, you can, until they realize that this is what you need to, uh, there is established that routine. One thing that starts very quickly is the whining. And there's a complete book up here on whining. And whining is really, it's an unacceptable form of communication. It's a form of disobedience. And, and a way to prevent this whining right from the beginning is to, you've got, is to put the, um, to, to teach them how to sign different things. No, yes, I haven't learned all the signs myself, but you can, you can just teach them these simple little things. And if their language hasn't developed fully, this is a way of getting them to communicate with you, one of the earliest forms. There's please, there's thank you. These are some of the things that, that are very easy for them. I think there's a couple of sheets up there that show them. Yeah. The other thing that we have, have trouble with very early with children is the tantrums. And I think this is something that parents don't realize. There are two types of tantrums. There's a frustration tantrum and a, and a temper tantrum. The frustration tantrum is where the child's skills, his motor skills, are not developed fully and he can't cope with his environment. He wants to do things, but he's unable. Now, when that happens, you have to treat that child a little differently than when he has a temper tantrum, which is complete disobedience. Um, if it's a frustration thing, you need to wait for the child to be able to ask you for help and then you will step in and help him out with whatever the problem is. If it's a temper tantrum, however, that's something that needs an audience to be effective. So your key is to isolate the child. If he's a small little thing, you take him, pick him up, put him in his bed. Nobody's there to watch him fussing. 
and the temper tantrum will subside. Uh, you, you need to tell that child right away to begin with that this is an unacceptable behavior. A spanking will follow when he's calmed down. And, and when he realizes that this is the way it's handled, he will not uh, continue in that manner. Okay, that's just for the very early ages here. Okay, now we want to go on and talk about how do you raise a moral child? That's quite a, a, a difficult question. How are we going to raise a, a moral child? We talked earlier about the husband and wife relationship being the priority relationship. They need to see that you love each other. That's very important for the security of the family. You have to live by the same standard that you expect from your children. And, and that's esteeming others. We won't take time to read some of the verses, but esteeming others. And um, one of the articles that are one of the books that I've read, is, it talks about the preciousness of others. And I've started to use that term in our family. We have to think of the preciousness of others. They're precious in the sight of God. We want to do things that don't infringe on their rights. We want to be able to um, esteem them higher. We must exercise God's authority um, as, an, as his agent or his guardian. And that's the hardest thing people have is to either accept authority or to be an authority. But you know what? Your children will respect you if you are an authority. I know even from teaching. If you set firm boundaries, the child is happy. They're insecure if they don't know where the limits are, and they're trying every day to find those limits. And they, they dis I don't really want to use the word despise, but they will begin to despise you if you don't set those rules for them. And they, they, there will be, they can't trust you. And that's such an important thing. They, you have to build up a trust relationship with your child. And you must expect first-time obedience from your children. We talk a lot about counting to three, but really you don't even need to count to three. If you set the standard, it's harder for the parents to do it than it is for the children to obey. If you set that standard and you say that when I say it the first time, you need to come, and you expect a response from the child by, yes, mom, yes, dad, they will follow your rules, but you have to be consistent, and that's important too. Okay? Um, now, the child has a conscience that he's born with. Every child has. I'm going to quickly go through this part. Um, and it, and that's, the conscience is what represents the moral right and wrong. It's a, that sense of, um, of good and evil where it receives values. And I, I really want to emphasize how important this is with you. You are setting, you are developing the character of your child. You're, doing, you're, you're inputting morals into their conscience. And what you put into their conscience is what they're going to grow up with. What, that's what they're going to be. There are two parts to the conscience. One is the primary conscience, which is the awareness of God's existence and the sense of right and wrong. And then there's that moral conscience. And this is the learned standard of right and wrong. They're learning it from you. What do you think is right? What do you think is wrong? And that's the trainable portion. Okay? And, and it's very easy to weaken that conscience or to wrongly train it. It's very, very important. And, and in that conscience, there's what we call like a warehouse. You're putting things in there that the child can use at a later date. Like I said to you earlier, by age 12, they've developed those moral values. Because from day one, you're inputting into that warehouse. And, and that's going to begin to, they're going to, to begin to use that later. You have the managing rights to it at the beginning. You're deciding what's going to go in there. Is it honesty? Is it integrity? Is it uh, respect? All of those things that are going in there. You, can, you, you train that conscience in two ways. You train them by a prohibitive training or a positive training. And the prohibitive one starts first. That's the restrictions. At the beginning, when a child can't reason in the early ages, you need to say, no, this is not allowed, that's not allowed. And that's restricting it. So you train it by that. But then later, after age six or so, you're going to start with a positive training where it's going to be through encouragement, through praise, these kinds of things. The character, you're also, as part of this conscience, then there's a character that develops within each child. And that character, he's born with a temperament. Every child is born with a temperament. That's the way they are. Then that personality develops on that temperament. But the type of personality your child is going to de develop depends upon the character that you develop in them. And that's done again through this moral teaching. And it's, um, and it's formed from the virtues that they've acquired. And um, it, it's, it's either the absence or presence of three attributes, which are respect, honor, and honesty. And all of this is pretty much done by the age of um, 12. 
Now, these next three circles that are up there, that's your character. It's made up of three, diff three different segments, identity, worth, and adequacy. The identity part of your character is who am I? And that comes from the opposite sex parent. You're going to give your child, if you have a daughter and you're the father, you're going to give your child her identity as a woman or as a female. Also fathers, and I'm going to come to a little bit later on in the, in the forum, a portion that sp speaks just to the fathers, you also give your, your son his masculine identity. You play an important part in their character development, and it, it is so vital to later on. And um, studies show, well, I won't go into that because we don't have quite a, a, that much time left, but um, the other part is the adequacy. Am I able? Your feelings of, cap of being capable. Mothers, you make your daughters feel capable. So get them in there helping. Get them in there feeling that they're worthwhile. Fathers, you make your sons feel that they're worth something. Get them involved. Do projects with them. Do things with them. Praise them. And, and do it early. Do it early with them. Okay, and you must affirm your child. That means praise, praise, praise. It's so important. There's uh, one thing that I read. It said you need to praise four times to negate one negative comment that you made to your child. So four praises equal one negative. Remember that. It's important. Okay, the worth comes from both parents. You give your, ch feeling, your child a feeling of worth. That's their feeling of, of, of uh, self-esteem. And praise and affirmation are what give them their sense of worth. You need to encourage their unique traits. Don't compare their children. Okay? Now, how are we going to develop this moral character? We still haven't gotten to it. I've told you about the characters. I've told you about the conscience. Now, there are six different things that we do in order to develop a moral character in our children. And it's like a six-sided diamond. And these are the things. One of them is respect for authority. And that's the very first thing you're going to work on. Respect for authority. You need to train that into your children. That means honoring others, not violating their rights. And how we respond to authority is how we're going to teach our children. I used to think at the beginning when we were first married, oh, I don't think I can change him. I, I'm just going to start with the boys and I'll change them. Well, it wasn't very long that I realized I'm fighting an uphill battle because his, his influence is already there on the children. So we need to work together to, get to do, do what we're going to do with our children. So it comes back again to your husband-wife relationship. It's only as good as you are and as you personally are. That's, your children aren't going to be any better than you are. They'll only be what you are. It's important. Okay? Respect for parents. If, if you let them mock you, they're mocking God, and you need to let them know that. Okay? Respect for age. And this is one that we really don't do these days. Uh, old age is a burden in our society. We need to teach children to... to for example, do you, do you teach your children to give up their seat if there's an older person that needs a seat? I don't think that's taught today, or very little. Okay? Do you teach them to use the adult, uh, to, to refer to the adult as Mr. or Mrs., not by their first name? That's respect. Okay? Do you teach them the interrupt rule? I see so many times parents are involved in, in talking with someone else, and the child comes up, and they'll do all kinds of antics to get their parents' attention. But there's a simple little thing you can do by teaching your child the interrupt rule. When they come up to you, you teach them to just tap you on the side. And you acknowledge that little tap. And the minute there's a break in the conversation, then you can tend to your child. And it really cuts out any problems with that. Just a little sign. It doesn't have to be touch you on the side. It's whatever you agree with to do with your child. Okay. And the other one is respecting the property of others. We see that so often today. There is no respect to property. But if you take that back, it's not the property you're respecting. You're respecting the owner of the property. And if you teach them that, that belongs to someone. Um, littering, picking up flowers from the garden that somebody else can enjoy. This is where the preciousness of others comes in. If you're thinking of others who are coming behind you, you're going to try to keep that place nice and neat so they can enjoy it as well. So that's an important one. And then the other is respect for nature, because God created it for us to enjoy and for others to enjoy again. Now, that's how we develop our character, okay? One of the main things that we need to do in establishing our authority is getting obedience. And so I want to talk about the obedience part of it. What is it? It's a willing submission of one person to the authority of another, and it requires grace. Okay? It means doing what he's told. And here are the three things that you need to expect of your child without a challenge, without an excuse, and without delay. Those three things. If they can do all those three things, then they are in obedience to you. But if one of those things are lacking, they aren't obedient. 
So you need to establish that those three things are what you're going to do, okay? And uh, uh, I've got a Bible verse in there, but I think uh, we all know what Ephesians 6, 1 to, 1 to 4. Your parents because this is right. <laughs> That's the reference to there. And uh, we need to train the foolishness out of the heart of the child. And foolishness is, is defiant disobedience. That's the foolishness that the Bible talks about in their heart. And we need to train that out of there, that defiant disobedience that comes. Okay, how do you do it? You've got to be consistent. The same rules have to be here today, tomorrow, forever. Okay, and once the lesson of submissions are learned, they're learned for a lifetime. And it's um, how they obey you is eventually how they're going to obey God. And you know what? Parents make it very hard for their children to obey. And there are some reasons why. Okay? Because of the way you parent and what you require in obedience. There are three different ways that parents uh, parent. The first one, if you're a threatening, repeating parent, the child realizes at what time or what tone of voice he needs to obey. If he obeys at a threat, you've trained him to do that. He doesn't do it automatically. Okay? If you're inconsistent in your, in your response, you've trained him that today it's okay, but tomorrow you might be able to get away with it. Okay? You need to, you, um, you need to program your, your, or if you don't do those things, I should say it this way, you're programming your child not to trust your word. That's what you're doing. If you threaten and you threaten and you threaten, that child doesn't trust you. There's not a trust being built up. You have to say what you mean and mean precisely what you say. Okay? Um, if you're a bribing parent, Oh, one thing I wanted to mention before I go on to that, and I read this in a little uh, article or in a little book one, uh, one place, and it really stuck with me. And if you're a parent who tends to raise their voice, I came across this and it said, if you're out in your garden and you're tending your plants, do you yell at your tomatoes to make them grow? And it really made me think, no, we don't. And so why should we do that to our children? And that kind of stuck with me. The other one is bribing. If you're getting your children to obey uh, by bribing them or by bartering with them, then it's not obedience. And, and they learn to manipulate you later on as they get older because they know that if they can manipulate you, then they'll get what they want out of it. The other one is negotiating in conflict. If you're always negotiating in conflict, then you're negotiating something less than your original instruction. Remember that. You've already lowered your standard by that point. So, and if you're continually uh, undermining any, you're, if you're continually giving in, you're undermining any progress toward biblical obedience. And how do you establish the character of obedience? I think that's easy. Um, we talked about that already. When you, when, you, when you say something, you expect a response, yes, mom, yes, dad, and follow through. Um, your command has to be obeyed, precisely like we said in, with those three things, without challenge without delay. Sometimes, though, you need to make a little bit of a concession. You need to give them a five-minute warning. Maybe they're in the middle of something they're doing, and it's very hard for them to obey. They're tempted to do what they want to do and not to obey you. So you've got to be a little more understanding and say, look, okay, you're reading a book. You're almost at the end of the chapter. Finish that chapter, and then come and do what I ask you. So the, some consideration. The tone of your voice and your manner also makes a difference whether the child wants to obey. If you bark out orders like an army sergeant, they're going to resent that. And um, it's important how you say it. Now, if the child is, is, uh, can, uh, disobeys, he's in sin. But if you continually reinforce disobedience, then you are in sin. Okay? Now, I want to just put up a little chart here and show you the elements of, of how we discipline, because that's an important part of our t uh, parenting as well. And discipline... Uh, is often misunderstood. I'm going to turn this way so that I can see the chart and maybe point out some of the things on there. Discipline is, is instruction, really, but people misconstrue discipline and they think it means just spanking or punishment or whatever. But discipline involves everything. It involves instruction. And another area where people really um, don't understand, there are two types of instruction. One is in the skills and talents that your child has that you're going to develop, and that's developed through, through patience and guidance and some goal incentives up here. And that's done through, um, oh, I got my little laser signal here. Just, yeah, here. You're going to encourage them with verbal praise and, and with these goal incentives. That's where you can put in your um, rewards. Maybe not up front, but maybe as they're going through and learning some of these things, you put them in when they're unexpected. 
that gives a child a, a little bit more reason to, to try, not just for the reward. Okay, then you've also got instruction that involves behavior. And this behavior is correction. You're going to try to correct that behavior, and it's done by encouragement. And here are the ways that we can encourage a child. This is before they're involved in any activity, you can encourage them with some verbal reminders. Uh, asking questions. Do you remember what I said? This, what are we going to do when we, before you go to a store? You get out before you get out of the car. Uh, children, do you remember what we're going to do when we go into the store? Yes, we're not going to touch. We're going to stay by mom and all these different things. Then the positive words. You did such a good job of, uh, you know, as you were going into the store. Don't bribe them before you go into the store and say, I'll buy you this if you this, because that's, if that's being a bribing parent. But you praise them after the fact with positive words. Um, afterwards, after the activity, you affirm them. You tell them what a good job they did. That's when you might give an occasional reward. Not every time, because a child may come to expect it. Okay, that's the encouragement part of your instruction. Now, the correction part falls into two categories, the childishness and the foolishness. This childishness is disobedience, but it is unintentional. It's only because they're a child. And you need to admonish them if they do something wrong. You need to have a related consequence. And that related consequence usually either applies to property or a privilege or even a responsibility. And the crime always must fit the punishment, okay? Or the punishment, I have got backwards, the punishment must fit the crime, okay, for any of those things that they do. Now, this is the important part, and this is the part that we want to talk a little bit more about before we finish the forum, is the foolishness. This is the defiant disobedience, and this is what always gets the most of our attention. And there are three levels of offenses. You're not going to hit them the first time they or hit them with the, the whole full, full force of the law by the first offense. If it's just a level one offense, you're going to admonish them verbally. If they continue to do it, then of course you need an action along with that. This is where the one time when you can use a timeout, this is where it applies, where you say to a child, they're running around and you've warned them, you said, you're going to hurt yourself. And they just keep running, and you, they, they're just wild. They won't settle down. So you, you take them, you say, it's time for you to sit down and think about your actions and what's going to happen to you if you don't stop. So you give them a time out to realize that. If it still continues, of course, you need to have a consequential punishment for, for that. And um, that ends up where you my little, there it is. That ends up, this consequential punishment, it needs to have some pain. They need to feel pain. Okay, and that's where these kinds of consequences are going to come in. The, a natural consequence that might follow, but again, that should be something that the whole family doesn't have to suffer. If a child is done wrong, you say, well, we're not going to go. That everybody else has to suffer because you're not able to, to do that activity. So you need to have something that applies more to that child only rather than everybody else. There can be a structured consequence as well uh, that uh, you, you apply. And it can be a logical consequence. It can be isolation. This is where you might have them go to their room and, and do something. And then, of course, the last big one, the chastisement. Chastisement is what we refer to as spanking. And, and here, again, there's a, a little bit of a discrepancy with the spanking because the, the culture today, it's a cultural spanking. They spank out of frustration, out of anger, out of um, whatever but not for the right reasons. Spanking is, 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 biblical spanking is something that we need to, to do to the child to bring them to the realization that they have erred, that they need forgiveness. You have to bring them to the cross so that they can experience the grace of God. And one thing I didn't do as a, as a parent, and I wished I would have in the earlier years, was that when you do uh, spank a child or when you do bring them to this point, that you need to refer continually to the Bible. I have to do this to you because God requires it of me. If I don't do it, I will be in sin. And there's a little article here that, again, uh, I, I was going to have Eckhart read for us. And it, it, it's just a scenario of how a spanking should take place, a biblical spanking. Okay, well, I'll tell it what, what it says in it. What, what, um, it just was a, a referring to uh, a discipline um, scenario where a, a child had disobeyed a grandmother. She ate a popsicle before supper when the mother, grandmother said, no, don't. It might ruin your appetite for supper. So the mother came in and chastised her, sent her to the washroom first or to the bathroom, and said, I'll meet you there. When she got there, she, um, she started out by saying, I'm going to need to spank you because of what Proverbs 
22, 3, 13 to 14 says about withholding not correction from the child. And then she asks the child, do you understand why I'm doing this? Well, the child acknowledges that. And then she took her over her lap, gave her her spanking, and of course that was a submission. And she gave her eight spankings, one for each year of her age, which is one way of doing it, I don't know. Um, and, but then the important part was afterwards, she invited her to sit on her lap, cradle her in her arms and said, I love you, I forgive you, but you need to ask Jesus to forgive you not, for not obeying him. Remember, he's your ultimate authority. And this is what I meant by bringing it back to that they know why you're doing this, that they know why they're being spanked. And then she, she said her little prayer and asked forgiveness. And then I would even encourage you to go back to the grandmother and ask forgiveness for not having obeyed. And then after that, they prayed together and they uh, made up and they went on. And that's the important part of the spanking, the discipline part of it. Okay. Um, I think on your sheet you have the characteristics of the 6 to 12 year olds. I'm not even. Oh, one more thing that I forgot to mention. After the spanking, it's very important that you bring your child to that, like I said, that repentance, that asking for forgiveness. But the restoration is important. You have to restore it. They ha if there's anything that they has, have done wrong, they've got to make that restitution. And then you restore that situation back to its normal position and you can go on. Everything is forgiven. And that's the same thing we do with our Heavenly Father, or He does with us. And we need to teach the child that too, so that when the time comes when they need to uh, apply to for that grace from God, they know how to do it. Okay, the characteristics of the 12s, uh, 6 to 12s, I believe is on your handout. Uh, just some things. This is the time when you, when you start with the moral values. Like I said, they need affection. It's an uh, age of feeling. Um, they need a lots of encouragement at this age. Not much, not much negative, more encouragement. And this is a time to do things as a family. They want to belong. They want to do things with your family. It's so important. They love adventure. This is the time to do projects with the boys and all those things that we talked about before. Okay, and uh, reading stories together, uh, spending time, uh, character building. They love heroes, and at this point, their dad is their great hero. And, and so you need to read stories with them that build up these, these virtues, uh, the characters that they can, they can uh, relate to in the stories. And children at this age equate love with time. The more time you spend with your child, the more they think you love them. And that's so important, that's so important. Okay, I want to get to the father's part because I think this is very important. We often talk about the mother's role, the mother's role, but fathers, you have a far more important role in this whole thing than even the mothers do. I want to give you a little bit of just a family statistics. 34% of children today will live with both biological parents by the time they hit 18. That's staggering, only 34%. They don't, will not have a male figure most likely in their in their um, life growing up. The other one is the working mothers. 62% are, are employed with children under three, 72% with children under 18. And that equals nobody at home for the child. And it's so vital at these middle years that somebody is there. We often think, oh, as soon as the kids get in school, I can go back to work. Not so. They need you there till at least age 12 because you are developing their moral values at that point. So, and fathers especially hold an awesome power with their children. The boys, like I said, they're the boys' heroes. There was a little um, something that was done in a prison. Uh, somehow they decided they, that the prisoners should have a chance to send Mother's Day cards on Mother's Day. So they went to Hallmark and they approached them and they got all these cards. And they had to go back and get more cards because there were so many of the inmates that wanted to send Mother's Day cards. So they thought, well, they'll do the same thing on Father's Day there wasn't a single person that came to write a Father's Day card to their father. Why? Probably because that father wasn't there. There was a broken relationship along the way, and um, they had no need to send a card because they had no feelings for their fathers. There are three levels of relationships for a father, and most people don't attain to the third level. The first one is the biological father. Everybody is that. Okay, the provider or the sustainer. And the third one is the relational commitment. That's pr pr uh, having a relationship with your child. And most fathers are aloof from their family and they aren't involved in that family at all. And fathers, you have a mandate, and I think I've got them on that sheet there, and I'll just go very quickly through them. You need to cultivate a sense of family identity. That's your role, that's your job. 
you need to tell your family. You need to affirm, I'm so glad the Lord put us together. I'm so glad that you are part of my family. I really feel blessed because you are my family. That's your role, and that's important. The child needs to hear it from you. Okay, and the, the, the greater your commitment to the family, the greater the trust your child will have in you if he sees you being a part of that. And of course, the other important one is an ongoing love for your wife. We talked about that earlier. If, if they don't feel that you love each other, then uh, there's not a they, they don't believe that you have a commitment to the family. And the ESOs in the Growing Kids God's Way, the information that's up there, they advocate what they call a couch time for the, parent, for, the, for the parents when they come home. The fathers, not to run to the children first, the fathers to spend first few minutes or the first few time, uh, half an hour or whatever it is with his wife in front of the children so that the children will realize that there is a love there, that that's important. And then the children come after that. And once the child feels that security that you love each other, it is so much easier for them. You, you need to try to get into your child's private world and sometimes that's not so easy. They don't share often, and you need to be there at those times when they do, just by coincidence or by accident, you're on examining something in nature or whatever, and the child begins to share that private world with you. And that is so important that you get to know them in, their, in that realm as well. And one thing the fathers seem to um, have a difficulty with with the children is that let them have the freedom to fail. Maybe, they, maybe fathers expect them to be perfect or expect them to be so, and, and this is very difficult for a child. They have to feel comfortable that their dad will allow them to fail, that they can use that as, an, as, a, as a way of learning and as a way to, of succeeding. You need to, en and still love them, right? Uh, you need to encourage your child. And your tongue and your tone is very important. A child comes in all excited about something and you can deflate that in no time at all. I remember our older one getting a little electronics kit for birthday or whatever it was, I don't remember. And it was just a comment that he made about, oh, you're too young, you couldn't handle that or whatever, unintentionally. That box sat in his closet was never ever used. So just a little thing like that can make such a difference. And, and we, we, at mothers too, but fathers especially, we need to be careful of that. And another thing, fathers, you really need to embrace your children. And you think maybe by 6 to 12 they don't need it anymore. That's when they need it the most, especially if you have daughters, because if they don't feel that affection from you as a father, they'll go looking for it in the wrong place. And the sons also need it because that helps them to deal with their, their masculine identity. So it's very important, routine embrace of your children. And build uh, your trust on God's word, of course. That's important. Um, I just want to talk about just a couple of things that... that um, um, there was a survey done and they were asked what things would you wish your father had done differently in parenting and I think these will hit home the first one by far the most often mentioned was spend more time with me stay, stay at home and not always be traveling don't be so critical of me play more sports with me talk to me more um, accept me for who I am have more one-on-one -on -one things just, just your fa the father and, and the child and be present at more of their activities. So these are things that we need to um, really think about. And I have one last thing. I just want to sum up, and then we're going to open up for a couple of questions if we have time. This is, these are the important things that we talked about in the whole forum, and this is what I want you to just think about, that progressive growth model that's so important. Authority first, and the funnel opens up, and you give them more and more freedom as the time goes by. Demand that first-time obedience with your child. Okay. Work on developing your, your children's character by teaching them those six facets of the character. Authority, respect for all those things. Um, don't undermine your child's requirement to obey by being a threatening, repeating parent, a bribing parent, okay. or negotiating a conflict. Teach your child to develop his skills and his talents using the praise and the goal incentive. Work consistently on improving your child's behavior, and we talked about that through the chastisement, punishment, through the encouragement, through all those things and punishment must be associated with pain, and it has to hurt. And the other thing that, um, that I was reading, and this is a kind of controversial, I guess, is that the, the, the instrument that you should use should be flexible with a little bit of a sting, preferably something like a branch, not a wooden spoon, not a belt, and something that you use not on the bare skin, but on, uh, if the clothing, of course, is padded, you need to take that down, but never, um, 
undermine their dignity. You need to preserve their dignity in, in any of this. And you know, today, today, yeah, do it in private. The, today, the world is, is, is upside down about the spanking, but it's not the biblical spanking they're talking about. It's that cultural spanking where you're spanking out of anger and frustration and it becomes a beating. This is not what we're about. If you spank in anger, you are in sin and you need to ask God's forgiveness. So whenever you spank, it should be done the way that we mentioned and, and in just in that context. And, and then your authority comes into influence at the end of those middle years. And then you should be home free. <laughs> in your handout, you'll find there was a little, uh, at the back, just a little something that I came across as to how to approach doing chores at home. And on the very last page of your handout was just some little uh, things that I came across in my reading, creative um, uh, ways to deal with everyday discipline. I just wanted to mention that first one there. Be careful that you don't use the researching of scripture and writing out verses and so on uh, too often and to the point where they're going to resent the Bible. You might do it as a way of learning. And I think, uh, I didn't talk about family worship, of course, that's important for the fathers also to take your role as a spiritual head and, and be that and do that family worship. And I think if I was doing it again, or if we were doing it again, I'd start with, with Proverbs and, and and just delve into the Proverbs very early with your children. Teach them those verses. Teach them those verses that tell you why you need to discipline, why you need to do all those things. Because then it's not just you saying it, it's the Bible saying it. And the Bible is your authority, and you have to do it in order to be obeying God. So I think that would, from my way of thinking, that would be a good place to start as a, as a worship at home. Just take those verses. Talk about them. What do they mean? Okay. We've got maybe a few minutes before the choir comes in. Uh, if we have any thoughts or comments or questions. Do you want to take this around maybe? I know it's been a lot, but I, I needed to, to really cover all this information so that we could set the groundwork. Any comments? Any questions? Dan has one. Go back. Easier to get it on tape right away if you just speak into the microphone. Yeah, I appreciate everything that has been presented. Uh, numerous of it wasn't uh, necessarily new to myself because I did a lot of reading as well. But the part I found difficult is not attaining the, uh, the knowledge of it, it's putting it into practice. So how, how do we actually do all this? <laughs> I think that's where God's grace comes in. <laughs> we, 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 we are not perfect and you're going to make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. And I think the one thing that we need to, and, and that'll come out in the next portion of our, of our forum when we get to the teen part is, is when you do make a mistake, acknowledging it. And I think it's so important if you go to the child and say, forgive me, I did this wrong. I had to go to my children before I did this forum and say, I know I did many things wrong as a parent. I'm asking forgiveness. And we sat down and we've talked so much about